So I'm sitting here this afternoon with my friend Kim Mobley. And Kim is, what is your title at the school here? At the school, I am a, a full-time educator. I'm uh -huh. also um, half-time practical arts, half-time okay. English. So my classes kind of run the gamut. In Aurora, Missouri. In Aurora, Missouri. Uh -huh. And so, but you've taken kind of a circuitous route, route to the classroom. I mean, you've had many <laughs> That's a sweet way to put it. I like that. Circuitous route. Mm -hmm. Yes. So tell me. I have. Tell me about your story. Okay. Um, well, gosh, I'm a lifelong Auroran. My folks moved to Aurora in 1950 from Northwest Arkansas after okay. after World War II. Sure. And the plan, I'm told, was to move to Aurora where there were jobs, um, get rich, <laughs> and move back home to Arkansas. Really? Um, they never moved, and we they never moved. Rich. I, I think they got rich in experience and adventure <laughs> and friendships yes. um, and they kind of created their own stories and, and roots here and um, it, it stuck you know part of part of our hearts still belong to Northwest Arkansas sure. because we spent a lot of time growing up and spending time with our grandparents there sure. but um, Aurora is home uh -huh. and um, it always has been for where me where did your parents come from my before, before Arkansas. my Dad, oh, my, my dad grew up in Boone County, okay. Arkansas. Mom was in Carroll County, uh, uh -huh. Green Forest. Dad was in Alpena. Um, their families both migrated there from, I believe, other parts of Arkansas, and then before that, Appalachia. Okay. Um, the joke on my dad's side was my great-grandfather moved here with all his children because he was from a place called Big Stone Cap Gap, Virginia, which is Hatfield and McCoy territory. Uh, yeah. And they were related to everyone or, or hated them, one of the two. <laughs> and there was no one left for his children to marry. <laughs> so he moved to Northwest Arkansas, so they would have some, he was a builder and a carpenter by trade, and he wanted to build buildings and help build some towns and, and places, and he did that. But wow. the joke was, you know, that he wanted people for his kids to marry. And I can remember being a little kid and my parents telling that story. And then I had just started doing some family tree stuff and realized that, you know, brothers married sisters and, uh -huh. and third and fourth cousins and just different <laughs> things. And, and I can remember laughing out loud at the table because, you know, thinking, okay, they're still related. And, <laughs> and mom gave me that stink eye look, like, don't talk about it. So... But yeah, we've we've always had country roots, and um, before that, I think uh, they came from Ireland and Scotland and Good. and That's England. Awesome. That's awesome. So yeah. Well, so you started out at the paper, right? I did. Um, actually, when I was fourteen, I went to work at the Dairy Queen here in Aurora. Um, had one of the best bosses ever. His name was Carl Wise, and I, I credit him with work ethic and teaching me to think outside the box uh -huh. and be able to follow a few rules because I'm not always a rule follower <laughs> and kind of set priorities and know what really mattered. I like having my own income and helping my parents pay for my things. And not long after that, my brother was working as a sports writer, sports editor for the newspaper uh -huh. and also part-time for the radio station. 
and he got me really interested in journalism. So when I was a junior and senior in high school, I, I actually went to work for the advertiser as a part-time reporter and covered sports and school news. And I worked there until 1981, even while my first two years of college, and it burnt on Valentine's Day of 81. We were a daily back then. And my brother, That's a isn't that crazy? Uh, and my brother laid me off, go figure. Um, he did, they were going to have to downsize and work out of a new office for a while while they built the building back. And um, he didn't want anybody thinking I was going to get preferential treatment. I was a couple months away from getting married. And my um, husband-to-be at the time also got laid off from work. So we, we got married in June of that year, and, and neither one of us had jobs. It was kind of a strange thing. How did you make it through that? Um, we got very creative. We picked apples. We refinished furniture. We painted barns. Uh, we did all kinds of things. And when, when I got back from our honeymoon, um, I actually went to work for about a year, year and a half at MWM Printing. But at night, um, he and I did, all, like I said, all kinds of things. We picked apples in Marionville. We painted barns in Monette. We, somebody asked us to refinish furniture, and, and I knew very little about that, but I learned, no Google back then, kind of trial and error. So we, we made it. We picked strawberries for Garoots in, in Verona, and um, we, were, we were pretty scrappy. We did a little bit of everything. We did. We did. And so then what happened when the paper got restarted? Well, um, by 1983, I was back in college, and I went to work at the Lawrence County Record. Okay. And then I went to work for the Marionville Free Press. It was before Aurora had bought the Marionville paper. Uh -huh. And then I worked there for about a year and found myself working at the Monette Times with one of my former uh, pressman, a guy I had worked with at Aurora, uh -huh. uh, he, it seemed like we followed each other around at several yeah. newspapers, and I was um, news editor at Monette until 1987, wow. and then I had the opportunity to come back to Aurora as editor, yeah. and I was the editor there until 2004. So. Wow. So very, very, I just kind of made the circle. I think Bob George said one time I had worked at more newspapers than a potty training puppy or something, <laughs> something like that. But I also did stringer work for Hank Billings for the News Leader, uh, did some work for the chart in at Missouri Southern, did some work for the Joplin Globe, and um, just anybody that would let me write or work, I, I did. What was the best about <sighs> You know, I th I liked I liked meeting people. I liked helping tell their stories. I loved historical features. Right. Um, I learned a lot about education and board meetings and city councils. We had a lot of um, a lot of scandals and murder trials in the yeah. 80s and early 90s. Uh, yes. And you know, in a small town, you you know everybody that's involved, or you're related to them, or that you have some kind of connection to them. Sure. So you have to learn to create a, a distance, and still tell the story and be fair and honest. And you know, what was I, that like? Um, you know, sometimes it was really painful. Um, I can remember someone who had been here who had done a lot of good things for the community. 
um, who made some bad life choices later in life and was having some health issues. And, and I can just remember um, how painful it was to cover that uh-huh. and work through that because it was just like, it was, it was just like losing somebody you loved, you sure. know, and, but yet you still had to be obligated to tell the story. Uh-huh. And after his trial was over, um, I can remember coming back to work and we got a phone call. And, you know, Paul Donnelly, my publisher, and I are looking at each other. I'm like, I don't want to take it. You take it. And he says, well, I don't want to take it. You take it. And I said, well, let's both take it. And so, you know, we counted to three and we both picked up the phone. And um, he said, I just want to know you to know how fair and honest you've been with the coverage and how you've you've given me and my family dignity. And I'm sorry I've put you through this. He goes, Kim, he goes, I've watched your face. Um, I've watched your face all week, and I, I see the pain, and and I, I regret it. He said, I regret what I've done to my family and friends, and if I spend the rest of my life trying to make up for it, you know, I will. Uh-huh. But, you know, those kind of things, you, you learn to cover them, and you learn to um, keep trying to move forward and kind of learn lessons from them, I sure. guess. Uh, but, yeah, it was it was a crazy time to be covering things in Aurora. We had several forms of government, um, petition drives, um, you know, people people upset about one thing and these other people supporting them. And a lot of times um, you had people on both sides. One time I covered a strike at the shoe factory and my mother was part of administration having to cross the picket line every day. And, and I had a sister-in-law on strike. And so, you know, it made for some awkward times at the supper table. But, um, you know, I also felt like it gave me a foot in both worlds where I could put myself in other people's shoes. And I think that's what I've always tried to do as Definitely. a, as a storyteller. Great, yeah. You know, yeah. And so tell me what happened after 2004. Well, um, I was at a school board meeting covering uh, the school board. And there was a teacher who was asking to be let out of her contract. Really? And she taught journalism and dual credit English, and she was a really good teacher, and they didn't want to let her go. And she had been before the board a couple of times, and they basically said, we don't have anybody to replace you with those credentials. And I can remember um, writing a note to the principal and saying, what credentials do you have to have? Right. And so she wrote on the note and handed it back to me. And I looked at that and I thought, well, I'll be darned. I've got all that. Um, And I was working at the newspaper and I loved my job at the newspaper. Um, We'd had a little bit of a corporate takeover and I I didn't exactly see eye to eye with the new owners. I had called them on the carpet a couple of times on some things that I thought were a little bit unethical that, um, you know, as, as an editor, you're not really making financial decisions. You're not really sure. supervising other people other than your news staff. But I knew that if word got out on the street about some of the things that were going on, people were going to associate that with me. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had worked long and hard for a, a certain kind of reputation, and I didn't want anybody messing that up because sure. I figured I would be here long after they're gone. Right. Um, and And we had... We had kind of come to terms that we did not see eye to eye about that. Um, 
one of the owner's wives had told me to take my diplomas off the wall because they were because they were gaudy she goes they they just really stick out in here and i said you you don't want people knowing that, that someone that works here has credentials she goes I, I just would really like for you to take them home so i knew then you know my days were kind of numbered um i think that was on a monday the board meeting was that monday night so i had it in the back of my head and that Thursday, I believe I was putting out the Friday paper when I was told I would no longer be needed. Um, and I ended up writing um, my goodbye column um, that was extremely cathartic, um, thanking people for a great journey, you know, through the 80s, 90s, and part of the, the 2000s, and that I would still be here, I would still be serving them, I would still sure. find ways to write, talk, and support them and tell their stories. And... Um, you know, it had been a my pleasure, and well, that was really good timing for you. It it worked out. I that was on a Thursday. Um, that Friday, I believe I interviewed for this job, and then Monday night the school board met, and then the following Wednesday, I hit the ground running and I I went to work, and I I have loved it. I tell you, um, my classes have changed, students have changed. Um, I do some service-oriented classes and some leadership classes now. Um, I have a social justice platform embedded in a lot of my English classes where I get them to um, do some research, interview people, find connections. I really try to find ways to get them involved in the community and get their names and faces out there. Sure. Um, I've traveled all over the world on grants and professional development. I've had internships and, and experiences at the Truman Library, the Library of Congress. Um, you know, it's, it's been a wonderful 15 years. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, it's, and it's a nice fit with what I've done in the past. Definitely though, that's a I mean, perfect timing because a lot has changed in the It has and um, you know, I think God had a plan, and I think I, I have this habit of being um, terminally loyal and diehard and stubborn about things that, that maybe aren't working <laughs> or that don't fit or that, you know, and I, I'm just going to make it. I'm going to force it. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to suffer a little bit and get through it. And, and I, a lot of my friends were no longer at the newspaper. Um, you know, I saw what was happening in the journalism field overall. Sure. Um, it was changing. It was way different than how I had been trained and how I wanted it oh, to be. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the neat thing, when I started here at the high school, my son at the time was a freshman. Uh -huh. um, and I got to be here with him. Now, I'm not sure he liked that as much <laughs> as I did. But I got to go to ball games. I had sure. I had work nights and weekends and um, hours. long hours, crazy hours. Not not always being able to take some time off or take a break at the holidays. And right. um, it was it was a great time to watch him grow and change. I had just remarried that year, okay. um, so I tease people. I say that um, I don't know what I did. I knocked the world kind of off its axis a little bit. I. <laughs> I remarried after being single over 14 years. I changed jobs after you know what seemed like a lifetime in journalism, and and I I voted Republican, 
which was something unusual for me that year. And then our house had got robbed really? in town. So I thought, I don't know what's going on in my world, but there's like all kinds of things going on at the same time. But it, it has worked and yeah. it is, it's been a nice journey. Um, you know, and, and I'm actually, I am the co-director of the Hound Dog Alumni and Outreach Center at the Armory. Yeah. So we have a small museum, we have some workshop area. We're, and that's something that, that I was at least a little bit in on. Yeah, you were. Yeah. And and we saved the arch the newspaper archives right. when the office closed here. We were able to get them and house them at the armory. Yeah. So I still have all those old newspapers right. that I, I like the smell of. <laughs> and and I still am able to cover the community and school events and take photos and you know, I still do a lot of those same things that I did before and um, what are your five best tips for being a newspaper? Uh, I, I think integrity. Um, you know, I think you, you can't ever compromise your integrity because okay. once, once you compromise your integrity and somebody knows that you compromised it, number one, you know it. Right. So you're never going to be the same. Um, and I, I just think being fair and honest and having that, that moral compass when it comes to how you treat people and how you cover things and then being able to um, ask questions and really listen. Yeah. Um, listening is key. Listening is huge, being an active listener. And then, you know, something that my bosses were always adamant about, I had really, really good bosses, um, being able to admit mistakes and fix them. And, yeah. and that's another thing you don't see a lot of today. You see people making excuses or maybe updating a story yes. online. They call it an update. <laughs> well, okay, you messed it up. You, you made a big exactly. mistake. So, um, you know, so I, I like that. And I think the deadline thing was extremely important. Um, being able to do the best you could with the resources you have, pull the trigger, submit, you know, and then go on to that next thing. Yep. Yeah. Well, so what about as a teacher? As a teacher, the five important things? Yeah. Um, gosh, they're going to be really similar. Um, <laughs> I, I love teaching. Uh, and, and what's really such a blessing about it is that the kids teach me. Uh -huh. um, they teach me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I, I'm really spoiled. I, I get the good kids. I get the kids that want to be in my classes and then they kind of soak everything up sure. <clears throat> and they keep me on my toes. They ask a lot of good questions, but I think being, being fair and honest with them, uh -huh. being a, a human, sharing your stories sure. with them. I don't try to be, um, pompous or arrogant or on a different plane. I try sure. to tell them what's worked for me and what's made me successful in so, at some level. And then I try to share things with them like, like do's and don'ts. I've got a lot of don'ts, <laughs> you know, don't ever do this. Um, but you know, the, the neat part about teaching is no two days are ever the same. Kids live in a variety of different situations today than probably when you and I grew up. Yeah. Um, I think making sure that they're able to make those connections with the news and the world and what's going on with, with what we study. Yeah. Um, I a lot of times have a civil rights unit or a human rights unit and I'm always trying to get them to make connections or have conversations at the table sure. and to create their own sources. They 
we sometimes get lazy and we just want to go to the internet. We want to yeah. Google something. And, and I want them to have real conversations. I've had students find out that grandpa was a Purple Heart recipient. Uh, yeah. I've had a student find out that his grandma worked for the Pentagon during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Wow. Um, didn't, didn't, had grown up not knowing that grandma ever did any such thing. Yes. Um, and we were talking about it in class and he, you know, comes in saying, I think I might have a good lead on a primary source. I think it might be my grandma. And I said, I think you do too. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, so just getting them to make connections, know who they are, know where they, they come from. That's one of the neat things. You know, they can hear me talk about being a hound dog or being from Aurora or how much I, I love the community. Um, but when I take them over to the armory and they hold um, a 1927 yearbook in their sure. hand and they recognize some of the names yeah. um, maybe there's a McNatt in there well Drew McNatt owns Hogtied Barbecue sure. yeah. some of them work for him right. and I'm able to say well you know his great-great-grandparents you know ran a trading post and right. you know were located off the Trail of Tears and you know <laughs> and I'll tell him pioneer family names or what used to be here and um, they they appreciate their community they kind of appreciate their heritage they kind of look at things in a new light and and that's what's really fun for me that's one of the reasons i think i'm probably still here as i still want to yeah. create those connections and and help instill that legacy piece for them well and tell me some great things about aurora oh gosh <laughs> you want history Whatever do you want, you want. It's your choice. um this year Actually, I was working on a little checklist here. This year, Aurora turns 150. Oh, wow. So um, we have a running joke with a, my family and a group of friends. We have a hard time saying sesquicentennial. Yes. Um, so I've been putting 150 ways to celebrate <laughs> Aurora. Um, but, you know, we turn 150. We have a colorful history involving mining, involving the railroad. Um, this area was the known as the Elkhorn Prairie, and it was ran, the Trail of Tears ran right through here. Uh, Telegraph Road, the old wire yes. road, runs right south of town. So this was a crossroads of such for pioneers, for settlers, for you know Native Americans. We just have all kinds of things going on here. Um, you know, Aurora has changed a lot in 150 years. We're not the industrial hub that we once were, yeah. and we've lost a lot of business and industry. We we do have an, a new eclectic type feel, I believe. We've got some nice restaurants, um, nice flea markets. Main Street has been extremely active in upgrading downtown benches and sidewalks and planters and those kind of things. We've We've got... The project at the Alumni Center with the Armory, it's a beautiful building. We've done some landscaping and murals out front. Uh, got more plans to do more things over there. Um, you know, it, we've been part of a, a group called Grow 2.0, and now with the turning of a, another year to 2020, sure. uh, we're going into Grow 3.0, and it's okay. a, a program sponsored by um, Growth in the Rural Ozarks, the Community Foundation, Department of Agriculture. Um, and it's all about focusing on improving quality of life and economic development. Well, you know, our hope long-term is to 
make people want to come here, make people want to live here, um, make them want to start small businesses here, maybe it not be such a bedroom community. But the face of business and industry has really changed. I did an externship last summer with the Springfield Chamber of Commerce, and we got to work a week with a, a industry in Springfield. And, you know, the old school Kim Macaulay Mobley was used to looking at assembly lines and my mother was a peace pricer. She was an engineer and she timed people to make sure that they were efficient and effective. Sure. And, and we've got little quads now that help put things together. You don't really have an assembly line anymore. You have computers that do that peace pricing mechanism where you know if it's quality and, and sure. how fast they're making things. And you know, the, the face of business has also changed with so many online shoppers. Is that better or worse you know, in terms of the difference? You know, there's people that blame Walmart for the demise of downtowns across America. Um, you know, there's people that blame Amazon now for this, the definitely. same thing. Um, I'm, I'm guilty of shopping at both places. Right. But um, I try to support local business. I try to support restaurants and, and everybody that's doing anything that's kind of, you know, like being their own entrepreneur. I just think technology and our world is changing so much. We're becoming more global. And there's something that we lose with that downtown Mayberry yes. community feeling. And that's that's relationships, that's conversations like we're having right now. Uh-huh. Um, we get hung up on our devices and our computers oh, yeah. and we forget our manners sometimes. <laughs> so I, I don't know that any of those things are going away. So I don't want to be that, that old lady talking right. about, you know, kids yeah. get off your phones. Uh-huh. I think you've got to find a way to use things responsibly and creatively and still think and problem solve. And you know, one of the things that I try to instill in my kids in, in the leadership class is I want them to go to college. I want them to get certified in whatever career path they want to go and you know, take them off on a journey. I want them to see the world. But I want them to know that there's a great town waiting for them right. that they can come back and raise their families. And if that's five years from now, 10 years from now, 30, 40 years from now when they retire, um, you know, I have this little mantra about all roads lead home. And, and I, I want them to know that the world has poverty. The world has conflict. The world has problems with addiction and drugs and alcohol. The world has problems with discrimination, whether it's gender, race, you name it. The, the key is figuring out that it's not just Aurora. It's not Monette. It's not Crane. It's figuring out to look for the the good in most people yeah. because most people will come to the top um, if you let them and you give them the opportunity uh-huh. and then trying to find a way to be a problem solver or to, or to make a better way. Yeah. Um, you know, if we make our little Venn diagrams and we talk about things we like about the Ozarks and things we don't like, yes. um, we could take that list of things we don't like and apply it to anywhere. Yeah. And and it's it's the so human it's the human condition. Yeah. And what I want us to do is is to be open and honest and kind of relentless about you know, not to be corny or cliche, but making the world a better place because right. we can. Yeah. And and I think that's my idea. I'm not 
sticking my head in the sand thinking Aurora is the same place it was when I grew up in the 60s and 70s because it was a wonderful place to grow up. But there's still hints and pieces and parts of that that we can still hang on to and recreate while embracing all of these other new things that that probably aren't going to go anywhere, you know. Amazon's here, Google's here, Walmart's here. You know, those things aren't going to go away. We just have to figure out a way to coexist with them and and maybe springboard the, their opportunities into opportunities for us too. Um, there's momentum, there's energy there, but, but we can't spend the whole time griping about it. See, this was not problem-solving or not problematic at all. No. Great. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Lots of fun.